Hi, I'm Deborah Dykes. And I'm Ann Phelps. On this month's episode of Faith and Reason 360, we welcome Rob Hill, State Director of HRC Mississippi, and as part of the Human Rights Campaign's project, One America, Rob and his team lead the effort to bring equality to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people throughout Mississippi. Using the resources of HRC and collaborating with local organizations, Rob works each day to help change hearts and minds, advance enduring legal protections, and build more inclusive institutions in the Magnolia State. Prior to his role as the director of Mississippi's HRC, Rob served as a United Methodist pastor in Mississippi for over 12 years. He led Broadmeadow United Methodist Church in Jackson for nine years. Rob has also served on various community boards aimed at helping youth, improving Jackson community, and providing resources for neighborhood revitalization. Rob received his MDiv from Duke University and his BA in degree in communications from Mississippi State. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for joining us today. It's great to be with you all. Yes, yeah. we're pretty excited, Rob. Thank you very much. So before we uh, dive into many of the big questions that we all tend to ask, given the people that we are, would you tell us a little bit about your story, who you are, where you're coming from, and what has led you to the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, that's that might take the whole time. <laughs> but, it certainly uh, could. And it well, would be a good one. I'll try my that's best right, to uh, whittle it down. But I, I, I grew up in Mississippi. I'm a, um, I'm from Forest, Mississippi. F, that's uh, F-O-R-E-S-T. Uh, most people say forest. We say forest. <laughs> and, uh, and I still I still say that. But uh, grew up there. My dad was a, a educator, public school educator there, and so um, went to Mississippi State. Um, uh, so I lived most of my life in Mississippi with the exception of my time at, uh, at Duke Divinity School where I went to, uh, where I spent my, um, my seminary education. But uh, I'm a native Mississippian. Um, it, I guess what led me to this work, that, that is kind of an, that's an interesting story, and I've told it in, in, in other settings, but I'll tell it here because I'm sure the audience is probably different. But, uh, you know, I was a Methodist minister, and I went to work every day uh, for 12 years, afraid of uh, losing my job. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that's a, actually something that Mississippians fear, LGBTQ mm-hmm. Mississippians fear every day because uh-huh. there are no statewide protections um, for, uh, as, uh, as it relates to employment, nor are there housing protections or public accommodation protections on the statewide level. And so, you know, that's, um, so yeah, that, so that's something that, unless you, of course, you're, you have protections if you are a federal uh, contractor or a federal employee, mm-hmm. or your company or your organization has those protections in place. So yeah, I went to, went to work every day um, afraid that somebody would find out uh, that I'm gay. And, uh, and that's the reason I feared losing my job, obviously, because of my sexual orientation. And so around 2012, my longtime partner and I, Ryan, and I looked at each other and said, we can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, part of me was, you know, was very, uh, was very happy doing the work that I was doing. I loved to serve in the ministry. I loved baptizing babies. I loved uh, mm-hmm. um, celebrating uh, Eucharist, and and I even loved pastoral care, believe it or not. And I loved preaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and while I was able to live that life, live my life with Ryan, and and certainly a lot of friends, and even people in the church who knew very well my story, who I've, whom I was able to open up uh, to. I still feared that the hierarchy of the church would one day um, take away my credentials, or and it could be ugly and embarrassing, and and it just got to be for me, you know, duplicitous to live those two lives, and I could oh, not, yeah. I couldn't incorporate them or integrate them, and so Ryan and I were about to to leave. Uh, we said, let's get out of Mississippi, which is what a lot of people do, um, LGBTQ people especially. Um, because of the environment uh, that exists here and the stigma around being uh, gay or lesbian or transgender. And so we got a job, Ryan got a job in, in New York City. So we were going to li- leave and, and get out of this state. And, and we looked at each other and, and uh, said, let's, well, we didn't intend to go to New York. That's just where the job uh, mm-hmm. ended up. Right, but, right. but we were looking for apartments in, um, in, in New York and we were about to sign the dotted line on our apartment. 
And, and what uh, year is this? This was 2000. It ended up being 2013. We didn't expect that Ryan would get a job so quickly. <laughs> and because uh, we, we looked at each other and, and said that around the election, the, the uh, mm -hmm. second time that uh, President Obama was up for uh, election. And so Ryan found a job in New York, and it was early, uh, early February of 2013, and we were about to sign the dotted line on an apartment, and we looked at each other and said, let's not do this. You know, one, we, we can't afford to live in New York, and, yeah. <laughs> um, but we've got great friends in Mississippi. Our family's in Mississippi. We actually love our home state, and you can't get as good of sweet tea in New York in Mississippi. And in we fact, said, I don't even think they have sweet tea. I don't know that they do. I don't know if they do. But we said, let's go back to Mississippi and, and see how we can work this out. And, and I went on sort of, it put me on sort of a trajectory of, of finding out, you know, find, trying to find a new career where I could live out what I felt was this calling mm -hmm. to ministry. Had and you already uh, addressed your uh, sexual orientation with the Methodist Church at this time? I had, you know, some of the most supportive people that I've, that I've had over the years have been clergy friends who, who I was able to tell my story to and they were they fully accepted me and fully accepted Ryan. In fact, once they got to know Ryan, they didn't they, they liked him a lot better than anyone. So <laughs> he's pretty great. He's a pretty great guy. He is a pretty great guy. But uh, yeah, I was able to tell a lot of people and and um, and I so I, I was on that trajectory to sort of find a, a new career and and the Human Rights Campaign was looking to open up an office in Mississippi and consequently in Arkansas and Alabama through their Project One America work. And, and that's, that's honestly, was at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a, a friend who was sort of helping me process, you know, what could I do? What, could I, what career could I move into? And we talked for about an hour over a glass of wine uh, here in Jackson. And she finally said, this was in November of later that year, 2013, um, after we had come back from the whole New York experience and realized that we were gonna live in Mississippi. And, and she said, at the end of that conversation, she said, you know, I, I, I know that a friend of mine told me that the Human Rights Campaign might open up a, a, a office in Mississippi. And I knew at that moment that that was going to be my job. <laughs> Weird, you know. That's awesome. I, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was just that's the way it. That's the way it came about. And I ended up meeting some of the um, some of the staff from D.C. And uh, when they were down in Mississippi, kind of scouting out this program or scheduling, trying to uh, build this program, and and we hit it off. And around December, and I was still in. The, I was still employed by the church. I was still serving at Broadmeadow here in Jackson. And around December or early December, they said, would you work for us on contract for a few months while you're still employed? And, and, it, and honestly, it scared me, you know. Oh, my God. You know, Ryan and I talked about it a lot. And Ryan, you know, you know we realized that this would mean a, a whole different life for us. We would mm -hmm. be out. And Ryan said, you know, you could actually, you might, we, you might be in, uh, in danger sometimes yeah. because mm -hmm. of doing this work yeah. openly. And I, you know, I looked around and I, and I realized that nobody else was wanting to employ me. <laughs> and, but I also realized, I was, I, was, I was on a deadline to sign that contract and, and later in December. And I, and I realized that I'm just gonna, I, would, I would regret this if I didn't sign that contract, if I didn't start working with the Human Rights Campaign. And I would look back years later and say, why didn't I? And so, Eventually, I was offered the full-time position, and I moved into this work. And I tell people I didn't leave the ministry. I just got a larger congregation. <laughs> yes, I that, yeah, that resonates for sure. Still preaching the same thing, <laughs> love and inclusion. And, I, and, I, and I'm still passing the plate. Too. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really beautiful the way you talk about um, Mississippi and, and this place being home. And um, I, as someone who is not, I'm not from here, but feel a real call to be in this place that really, really strikes a chord with me. And the one I hear you talk about that, I think a lot of people would see you and Ryan and say, you know, why do you subject yourselves to this? And I think a lot of people who live in Mississippi get that regardless of sexual orientation or education levels, you know, why, if you have the mobility to not live here, would you choose to live in this state with so many struggles? Um, and I just, I really am grateful that y'all do because your presence here. Um, has the power to really transform lives, um, especially for so many closeted individuals who, mm -hmm. like you name, 
are are afraid for their well-being for their loved ones um, often with good reason Um, and it makes me think of your relationship with organized religion as well Um, so the state of mississippi was something you were able to stay in despite Mm -hmm. its hostility to you in some pretty significant ways Um, i'm curious what is your current relationship with the United Methodist Church, specifically given that that's your home base, um, but with organized religion in general, um, given that, of course, there are traditions right now that are growing in their ability to be open and affirming mm-hmm. and to to live the gospel out in that way, but there are still many that um, have policies and procedures in place that are discriminatory and hostile. How, how do you currently navigate yeah. that relationship? What a difficult thing. It was it was hard, and I, I'll have to acknowledge my own woundedness yeah. ar- around this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to scratch those wounds a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that the day that I that I had to go to my district superintendent, mm-hmm. um, who would report back to the bishop, obviously that mm-hmm. the district superintendents people don't know that you know they they have various districts around the conference, which is much like a diocese, mm-hmm. um, and so I had to go to my district superintendent and tell him that I was going to be. Um, taking on this role with the Human Rights Campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, he uh, he already knew that I was going to be transitioning out uh, mm-hmm. of, of the congregational setting because mm-hmm. I had already made that known to him in January, but I had not come out to him. I had not told my story. And and I sat there with him, and, and he said, and I told him, you know, I'm going to be the district director for the Human Rights Campaign starting this month. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I said, I'd like to remain a clergy person. I'd like to, mm-hmm. you know, do this through extension ministry and and I realized that that was not going to happen I honestly thought that I might could try to do that and didn't until I got there to his office realize that it was going to be impossible Mm -hmm. Um, and he sat there with me and he said he was very pastoral and very kind and he said you know I've known you were gay and I never would have done anything about it Mm -hmm. and he said that uh, that nobody ever brought charges against you uh, which, you know, I, I think on some level, not to toot my own horn, mm-hmm. I think that it yeah. it did speak to my effectiveness as a pastor. As absolutely. A oh, my goodness. I mean, I first encountered you in that role, and yeah. absolutely you were respected, and, and your ministry was transformative. And I think that that's, a, that's another story you know, that I'll need to write a book about. Right, because, yeah. absolutely. You know, I was able to, people who knew my story in my congregation, maybe mm-hmm. people who had never really come out to, mm-hmm. were able to forgive what they didn't understand because of mm-hmm. that effectiveness, because of the pastoral care I provided because of the yeah. leadership and the, and the ministry. But I sat there with him and, uh, and he said, you know, you can, you can stay in the clergy right now. You mm-hmm. can do this role, but your story's gonna be out mm-hmm. and somebody is gonna bring charges. Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't know your effectiveness right. for ministry and doesn't know you as a person mm-hmm. and then the bishop will have to decide what to do and would likely mm-hmm. prosecute. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that moment, I. I I teared up and oh, yeah. and and, um, and and realized that that I would not be able to be a clergy person anymore right? mm-hmm. because that had really defined me. Absolutely. And 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 I remember Bishop uh, Ken Carter saying, um, I remember him telling this. I'm so glad I heard himself tell this story. It was about a clergy person who I envisioned probably had the similar experience. I envisioned he was probably gay mm-hmm. or went through some struggle, and he said that he presented his his ordination certificates, much the same way I would have to do to to the bishop. And he said, this is my identity. Mm-hmm. This is all that I am. Mm-hmm. And Bishop Carter said, your identity is not in your ordination, or not formed mm-hmm. in your ordination. It's formed in your baptism. Mm-hmm. And so I left there hurt. Right. I left there feeling um, like I was giving up something that I, I felt yeah. that was fundamental to who I was and my calling. Mm-hmm. But I also left there, you know, determined that I was gonna, gonna live this ministry out, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what. But that said, you know, weeks later, it was weeks before the bishop ever even contacted me. Now, what year is this? This was though? 2014 at this okay. point. Mm-hmm. Jumping all over the place. That's here. all right. No. Again in 2012. Yes. 2013 was that year mm-hmm. of really uh, uh, journeying to that place, yeah. and then 2014 was where I sort of launched. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was weeks before I ever heard from the bishop to even acknowledge that, that, that he had um, received my credentials. Mm-hmm. And that was basically all that he did mm-hmm. and, and didn't say thank you. And, and 
and I should forgive him. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's hard, like you but, say, I mean, there are wounds here, yeah. and that's. Yeah. I felt discarded by the yeah. church, yeah. like you know, like I wasn't. Um, like it's just I went from one day being a, a pastor mm -hmm. to one day being a layperson. There's nothing wrong with being a layperson, right. but I felt like there was there was no acknowledgement that this was a significant mm -hmm. loss mm -hmm. to the church. Yeah. I mean, and these were people who had been formative for you and, and you'd gone through ordination with and you'd gone with, you know, to conference after conference with and you'd supported one another and it was a family that that said, you're, you're not a part of this anymore. Um, yeah. And it was easier to just not deal with your story than to allow it to, to shape that community that you were so deeply yeah. invested in. And it in. seems like the institutional church itself um, seems to overshadow the teachings mm -hmm. of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. um, and that took precedence over the compassion yeah. and the acceptance of all people. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, I, I wrote this in an article around that time because, you know, I really let the church off the hook by not having to deal with me. Yeah. But, you know, I did them a you favor. You didn't force them to press any charges. I didn't force them to press yeah. any charges. And, I, and I'm still glad that I did it that way because mm -hmm. it was, easier for my mother who was really struggling yeah. with my story being public and um, because when I came out I didn't do it over a cup of coffee with a friend yeah. I did it at the state capitol yeah. with, oh. with every yeah. news agency <laughs> in Jackson it there. It was incredible. Big because, splash, big splash. Yeah, nothing else was going on that day yeah. but my, my uh, coming out and being announced mm -hmm. as this as this uh, in this in this role. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah I mean I, I definitely it, it was it was I did, I did them a favor, but I wrote an article right before they were going to, uh, um, I wrote a, a piece in for, the, for the Clarion Ledger here in Jackson uh, around June of 2015 when they would have to officially accept my credentials. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I just said that, you know, I've, as a child, the, the pastor held me in his arms and presented me to the church when I was baptized. And I, all I really wanted at that point was for somebody to hold me in, that, in their mm. arms and, and escort me out. And, and I didn't feel like I got that. And so there is woundedness around that. So what's my relationship to the United Methodist Church right now? Mm -hmm. I still love it. I still want great things for the church. Mm -hmm. um, but, mm -hmm. but I'm not part of it. Yeah. It, do you see any movement in the uh, United Methodist Church towards uh, acceptance and inclusion? <laughs> No, I don't. Yeah. Not anytime soon. The great news is, and I'll say that while the while the hierarchy of the church did not reach out to me and did not escort me out, I, I did hear from so many wonderful friends, yeah. clergy, um, uh, lay people. I even heard from the former bishop, mm -hmm. Hope Morgan Ward, who reached yeah. out to me. So pastoral, and one of my one of my mentors at Duke, mm -hmm. Will Willimon, who had just mm -hmm. retired from the North Alabama conference who reached out to just make sure they knew that, that I knew that I was that I was valuable. Yeah. You know? And that's really all I wanted yeah. to, to hear at that point. I wanted somebody in the church to, mm -hmm. to say that because I didn't get it from my bishop. Mm -hmm. You know, when um, when a uh, an infant or or an adult or it doesn't matter the age in the Episcopal Church during the baptismal vows the celebrant ask, um, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And then the congregation and the uh, candidate answers, I will, with God's help. It's interesting how um, denominations uh, have different views. You know, they're all of the Christian tradition. Um, uh, the other part of those vows, let me go back to that, is will you serve for justice and peace among all people yeah. and respect the dignity of every human being? Mm -hmm. And people vow to that. They answer, I will, mm -hmm. with God's help. An entire congregation answers, I will, with God's help. And so if you're baptized into that tradition and you you pledge that, you make those vows. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's interesting how often people are very selective when it says all human beings. Mm -hmm. They tend to not think of yeah. it. And uh, it is super complicated. I, I grew up in um, a, a deeply open and affirming and welcoming household. My parents are, are wonderful people, but um, in a tradition and a community uh, where a lot of my friends were from a tradition that would say that 
to love someone who is LGBT, they probably wouldn't use the term LGBT, but to love that person, you must ostracize them, right? They think the stakes are so high and and, and it is, as with many, many things, mm-hmm. it goes back to this way of interpreting scripture um, that that does not, that we've spoken about on this podcast before as, as not necessarily ringing true for us or resonating with the way it was intended, but um, but it's so difficult. And, and it makes me think, um, being in Mississippi, you must encounter that. Yeah. And how do you, um, as a Christian, right? I, you may not be ordained anymore, but I certainly <laughs> would perceive you as someone I would identify as Christian. Um, how do you encounter those people who who throw stones at you and and hit you across the face? I mean, what? How do you deal with that? Well, as, as far as being Christian, I, I I tell people that I'm sort of spiritually freelancing right now. I'm sort oh, of like, hey, I'm I sort like of it. Kind of open <laughs> and freelancing. I think that's very good. much culturally Christian. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't mean you have to like sign a statement of faith or something. Right. But um, right, and, it, and I, those and are I'll, stories that are, are right, formative for right. you. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I I always acknowledged even as a pastor mm-hmm. that I was a that I, there was a part of me that was. Um, agnostic, yeah. But the part of me that believed always won out, yeah. And 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 so now I'm I'm very much acknowledging mm-hmm. that that and there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. Uh, but you know I you know what is it that it's, I think it's Gospel of Mark is it, I, I believe help my unbelief, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, we encounter that, mm-hmm. um, and and I tell people you know some people really are. Their treatment of LGBTQ people is is because they are bigoted. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people because of what they've heard in church, because of what they've learned in Sunday school, or what's been in, what's been reinforced in, in the culture. They they really are deeply concerned mm-hmm. about my soul. Absolutely. And and so, you know, on some level, I have to really have to understand that and have to because they really are concerned about one that I might be going to hell because I am openly gay and, and practicing. Mm-hmm. I have a partner. And, but the other people, I think they are also, and there's other, well, it's one, that, but mm-hmm. it's two, they're afraid of what they might do. Um, what, they're afraid of their own salvation, mm-hmm. um, that they may go to hell because, of, because they might be contributing to this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this sinful lifestyle. I'll put that in <laughs> quotation marks. Um, for instance, the the county clerk who has to sign a marriage license. Oh, that's right. It also yes. is yeah. very active in their church. Mm-hmm. But you know, we, we do get we do get that um, not as much as you would would think. Good. <laughs> um, I, I think that I tell people Mississippians are are nice. <laughs> So they just do it behind our backs. <laughs> well, we right. often say, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Yeah. I hear stories about that. Mm-hmm. Um, people will tell me how you know, somebody in the congregation didn't, didn't like me because of that. Mm-hmm. And I told somebody, I said, don't, please don't tell me. Right. I'd, I'd rather not know. Because right. Right. they didn't say it to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, gosh, the way I deal with that is, one, I want to have a conversation mm-hmm. around this. But, but, you know, I, you, I refer back to what I learned in Sunday school, not just at Divinity School, that, that we love one another, another. We love our neighbors as ourselves, and our neighbors come in all shapes and sizes, all different ideologies. And so to yell back at them or to say something that, that's kind, unkind, it, it, it definitely um, um, is antithetical um, to the gospel that we both embrace. Yeah. In the teachings of Jesus. Speaking of love your neighbor as yeah. yourself, um, HRC has a um, HRC in Mississippi has a, a new project, mm-hmm. and it's called Love Your Neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that project? Well, you mentioned in the introduction, our work is around institutional change. It's around legal change, and and, and I think the most important piece of the kind of change that that we have to uh, be about in Mississippi is hearts and minds kind of change, mm-hmm. the social change, because we know that when laws change, for instance, the Obergefell decision mm-hmm. um, in 2015, mm-hmm. um, June of 2015, when marriage was extended to all Americans, not just opposite-sex couples, but to same-sex couples, you know, hearts and minds didn't automatically change when that law changed. So we've still got work to do around telling our stories because we know mm-hmm. that conversations 
are, are powerful. In fact, they can, they, I tell people that they are uh, destructive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they, they have the potential for destroying mm-hmm. myths mm-hmm. and misconceptions mm-hmm. and breaking down walls and barriers. Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole goal between, uh, about our, uh, the Love Your Neighbor campaign. Toyota uh, in 2015 put out a uh, uh, notice of a grant um, they were, it was, the, the, the grant would serve various things like poverty or literacy. And one of them interesting was uh, LGBTQ awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be centered on in Northeast Mississippi where the to- Toyota has their uh, Blue Springs uh, plant right outside of Tupelo. And so we immediately jumped on it and uh, we wrote a grant uh, uh, in 2016 or the end of 2015 that uh, the grant was, um, the proposal was that we would identify people in the area, trans people, LGB, LGB people, um, mm-hmm. allies, and people like that who would, uh, who would tell their stories and we would film it, we'd film it, we would put it on social media, we would take advantage of earned media, um, it, it, all with the goal of creating conversation mm-hmm. and introducing people to, peop- to, uh, to their neighbors in their community who are LGBTQ and allied um, for our work. And we had a, it culminated and it was going to culminate in a uh, town hall where those messengers would tell their stories and would interact with, um, with uh, people from the community, many of whom we hope would be on the journey, uh, who, could, uh, who would be persuadable on these, on these issues, who we, whom we could move. And so we got the grant and, uh, and, it was, and, and we, we told those stories, we filmed those stories. And we had the town hall. We had close to 200 people who showed up for the town hall. And it was so successful. In Tupelo. In Tupelo, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. which is also the home of the American Family Association, one of our Mm -hmm. biggest opponents of of this work um, and of the quality work Mm -hmm. in general. And uh, and it was very successful. In fact, it was so successful, we only initially got a $5,000 grant. Uh, I was up at Toyota last week uh, for their for their first ever pride uh, ceremony or pride mm-hmm. celebration there in their um, in their uh, in their plant there cool. at Blue Springs, and they awarded us with another twenty thousand dollars to continue the work there oh, in Northeast wow. Mississippi. Congratulations! Well, it's it's not surprising. It's absolutely beautiful um, footage, and and uh, we're we're grateful to the HRC that y'all were willing to share some sound clips from from those uh, production pieces with us. So we're going to take a moment and listen to. Hayden's story while we take a little break. To me, loving my neighbor is loving everyone. Listening to their story, I always tell people I'm very open, so ask questions. I will tell you the truth, no matter how hard, how red I might turn. I'm never going to hide. I'm never going to tell someone, no, I'm not transgender, no matter how hard I think it's going to be. It was 2004. I started getting messages on back when Yahoo and uh, ended up being a cop from Grenada who was also transgender. And we started researching, trying to find resources. So he actually started his shots in June. I started mine in October. So it's been a little bit over 11 years for me. I lost my entire family over who I am, so I don't have any family members left. Tupelo is an awesome town. I actually spoke here, told my story. So I told my wife, and she was terrified because she's like, you know, what if somebody meets you outside your job and, you know, tries to kill you? The more we get out there and the more we talk to people and the more we get people involved and we really show them that we really are just normal people, I really think that's the way to get people to really open and change their minds. Hayden's not just thinking about ideals, he's actually talking about a very um, practical way to live. So Rob, tell us a little bit more about Hayden. Yeah, I, uh, through my um, travels throughout the state, uh, I, I met Hayden. You know, I tell people, sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit. You know, I, that's fine. John Wesley says the world is said the world is your parish. I tell people Mississippi. I'm just I've, you know I'll just take Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi's my parish. So I, uh, I and I'm not on a horseback, but in a, in a Ford, I uh, go around the state. And Hayden's one of the folks that I was fortunate to meet. Hayden uh, tells his story willingly. 
because he knows that, again, conversations, mm -hmm. telling our stories, it's the most effective way of changing hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. Hayden is obviously, you, know, you hear in the piece, is a trans male. Uh, he was not always. He identified as a lesbian, but uh, uh, for a long time, and, and even was with his partner, um, uh, who is now his wife. And it wasn't easy, uh, you know, he tells in the video a little bit about that, but she came to acceptance of, of, of Hayden as, as a trans person, and certainly a trans male. But, but Hayden, um, you know, he, he lost, and he says that in the video, he, he lost his family as a result of, uh, of, of coming out as a trans person. He was uh, actually adopted. Wow. Um, and, and how tragic is that, that the family mm -hmm. that adopted and you, um, you know, oh. threw you out. And so, you know, that, that could be extremely damaging. And certainly, mm -hmm. I know has been for Hayden, but, but Hayden is such a, uh, is, is resilient, and you, you, you get that from him. He is, you know, he doesn't see family as, you know, it never has really as biological, uh, given that he was uh, adopted. You know, his family are, are the people around him, the mm -hmm. community. And, uh, and, and that's why he, he goes about telling, telling his story, because he wants people to know that he is trans and he is their neighbor, and, uh, and uh, it, all in the hopes of making life easier for, for other trans people in Mississippi. So, you know, I, I really appreciated his candor, and, and, I, I, and I really appreciate his friendship. He's, he's, that's the great thing about getting to know people like Hayden, because you know, certainly, I, my goal was to find somebody who was an effective messenger around this issue. But uh, the good news is, I find a lot of friends. Yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as a result of it, Hayden's one of them. Well, it's really cool to hear you talk about Mississippi being, you know, your your parish and how, um, you know, when you left Broadmeadow, uh, you just got a much bigger, mm -hmm. bigger community. Um, and I really see that just as your your ministry in the United Methodist Church in Mississippi was so effective, I see the work that y'all are doing is so incredibly powerful um, in the lives of LGBT people as well as as any Mississippian, right? Um, and so, tell would you be willing to tell us a little bit about some of the projects um, mm -hmm. that you you've done in in recent years and just some of the incredible work that you've seen um, as as particularly effective? I know that a lot of our listeners. Um, are interested in ways that mm -hmm. they can create more safe, open, and affirming spaces in their co own communities. So right. what has been effective and meaningful in this work? Well, and let me add to that, too. Keep in mind, Rob, that we have 26 countries mm -hmm. that listen to our podcast. Yes. Right. And so uh, there are a lot of different standards in all of these different countries. Right. So Cultural and legal, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, again, our, our work is... I, 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 break it down into uh, three areas. Like I said, legal change, um, institutional change, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then the hearts and minds kind of change. You know, the legal change, uh, un unfortunately, very often on the statewide level, we're, we're battling uh, against uh, legislation that is, that is intended <laughs> right. to be discriminatory and to enshrine discrimination uh, into law, especially as it relates to LGBTQ citizens. One of those bills we saw was 1523, one of the worst mm -hmm. bills that we've seen uh, around the country, which is it's sort of a Frankenstein of a lot of bills that we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, but basically it would allow a circuit clerk to um, to uh, deny a same-sex couple a marriage license because of his or her religious beliefs. It would allow a religious-based hospital that receives taxpayer funding the, uh, the, the right to or allow them to deny uh, critical um, medical decision-making uh, mm. uh, to a same-sex couple because it, uh, it, it, because it conflicts with that, a, an individual or the whole organization's uh, religious beliefs. It would, uh, it would allow a um, a private counselor um, to deny an, an LGBTQ veteran critical mental, mental health care mm -hmm. because it conflicts with his or her religious beliefs. So it's a very dangerous bill. The good news is it was uh, there was a stay placed on it in the federal courts mm -hmm. on 2016 after that session. Uh, but it's it's in front of the the uh, Fifth Circuit right now, Court of Appeals, and and could go as far as the Supreme Court, given mm -hmm. that the governor has been aggressively um, mm -hmm. has been uh, appealing that. The other part of that that a lot of people don't know is that we are able to beat back a lot of the other legislation. We had, in that 2016 session, we had 12 other bills that we were able to kill in committee um, because of our lobbying efforts, because of the investment that HRC has, has placed. But, but the, good, the other good news is that we've seen um, change as far as on the, on the municipal level. Jackson, Mississippi yeah. in 2016, just three days uh, 
uh, after the Pulse nightclub shooting where 49 LGBTQ folks were uh, murdered tragically, um, needlessly. I guess murder's never needed, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Yeah. but anyway, but, but three days after that, Jackson passed the, the first ever non-discrimination ordinance mm-hmm. in the state. Magnolia, Mississippi followed mm-hmm. suit. Uh, Love and, it. And so, so I, I'll, I'll add to that, you have, you're protected in, in, in housing and employment and public accommodations. Um, for, if you're federally employed, if your company has that, um, in place, those protections in place, or if you live in Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> Magnolia, yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. so uh, so we can good have plug that. for so, Jackson, right, right, <laughs> and, it's, and it's the capital city and the largest city, mm-hmm. and where a lot of LGBTQ people mm-hmm. reside, and so we're continuing to do a lot of municipal work because mm-hmm. the municipalities really get it. You know, when they come to the state, uh, to the state house, to the capital, they they you know they come here from all over the state, but they don't come here with the best interests of everybody mm-hmm. very often. We have some great uh, allies in the Senate and the House, but uh, yeah. But on the municipal level, we have mayors, Republican and Democrat, um, uh, Democratic, who are who, who know that they they need to have something in place mm-hmm. so that they can attract business to their community, so they can retain talent in their in their community. So so anyway, that's a long answer to that kind mm-hmm. of work. But the institutional work, it's the it's the the work that we're doing with Toyota, or it's mm-hmm. the work where the relationship we've been able to cultivate with Ingle mm-hmm. Shipbuilding, the largest employer yeah. in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, UMMC uh, mm-hmm. on the uh, when it comes to healthcare is 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 a leader, and so are the VA uh, medical centers around LGBTQ care, and they and they've gotten better as a result of great staff there who've made that their mission, but through a partnership that we that we have, and we have ways of of uh, benchmarking the, their success and and, and uh, measuring their success uh, through our corporate equality index on the for the corporations, but. Um, our healthcare quality index for the hospitals, and so so those that's the kind of institutional change working for to bolster and create uh, GSAs, gay straight alliances in, in high schools and in colleges, um, and then that's that critical social uh, part, the the uh, the hearts and minds kind of change that we we're able to uh, be about through our, our faith interaction, yeah. and, uh, and and through pro- programs like the uh, Love Your Neighbor campaign, which by the way, all of that is uh, accessible on YouTube. You just go to YouTube, uh, put in HRC, Love Your Neighbor, and you can find all of those videos. We engaged uh, in 2014 in something called uh, All God's Children. Mm-hmm. Again, it was uh, it was in the Jackson media market. We used television to tell stories. Again, not to get people to vote for anything, but just mainly it was a campaign to get people talking and getting to know their neighbors. So so that's that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're working so hard at it. I um, am reminded that there was a professor, and I won't uh, name names, but he worked in a uh, religious studies department um, in uh, one of the universities uh, in the South. And he posed this question, and I always thought, wow, that's really interesting. If people would just kind of stop and, and consider the question, um, who benefits? Who benefits from keeping women or who benefits from keeping Mm. the LGBT community uh, denying them full participation in society? And if people would just stop and think, wow, who is benefiting from this? And and look at that with a critical eye. Mm -hmm. Um, They might take pause. Yeah, and we we hear that from from people who may not be on our issues, but they also realize that realize that we're a free country, and, and I should be able to live the way I want to live, and they should be able to live the way they want to live. It makes me think of you know the shadow side of that question, right? Is um, people who say things like, "Well, it desanctifies my marriage if if you know my opposite sex marriage if if anyone can get married." And I've had people say that to me before, and it actually makes makes I'm married to a man. My husband and I laugh a lot because they say, "You know, isn't." isn't gay marriage a threat to your marriage? And I say, well, I met my husband when I was singing at a same-sex wedding, so I actually have gay marriage to thank for my marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but it's it's so funny, right? Like, I mean, I literally do, and, and absolutely not. It absolutely bolsters my marriage to the point where we got married in Connecticut, even though I'm from Nebraska and he's from Mississippi, because mm-hmm. at the time, marriage was open and equal in Connecticut and it wasn't in any of our home states and we were lucky enough to be Connecticut residents at the time and yeah. we wanted to participate in in supporting that right. institution as as a as an ally couple that that you know so often as with any kind of justice movement 
those who are already in power um, have so much to bring to the table in breaking down those stereotypes. Because as a heterosexual married yeah. person, I have access to certain conversations that you wouldn't, for right. better or worse. Absolutely. And, and, I, and people ask me, what can they do? And, and that makes me think about yeah. that because, yeah, because you, you are in a position of power yeah. for a lot of reasons. Right. Um, but, you know, people say, what can I do? And I'd say, it, I'm not an LGBT person, but what can I do? And I'll say, be an ally. Yeah. You know, speak out. Mm-hmm. Show up at our rally. Call your, your congressman or, mm-hmm. uh, or call your legislator. Um, when you are in the grocery store or at the workplace and you hear a, a terrible joke that is directed at mm-hmm. a, a community that's disenfranchised, in this case LGBTQ people, speak out mm-hmm. and say that is, that's unacceptable. You, know, there's a, there's a, you don't always have to be you know, speaking to the legislators. You can yeah. do it in an organic way and create mm-hmm. change where you are. Because in some ways, if you don't speak out, mm-hmm. you're condoning it. You are, right, complicit. Yes. What is it Martin Luther King Jr. said? It's, it's not the, the it, it, well, it's basically the yeah. silence of our friends. Yeah, it's, not the, yeah. it's yeah. not the violence of my enemies, but the silence of my friends or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, it didn't rhyme like that, so it wasn't violence. I, yeah, but, uh, he, <laughs> he, said, he said, said things a lot better than, yes, than, exactly. uh, than I am, but I'll just leave it at that. But, but, um, but you know, did it, around marriage, mm-hmm. Mississippi has, among uh, opposite-sex couples, mm-hmm. one of the highest divorce rates in this highly religious state. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one of the highest divorce rates. So the only threat mm-hmm. to marriage really is <laughs> maybe opposite-sex couples. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe you feel that but, we're a threat to you. You know, and, and that's another thing. You know, we, 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 our issues are, are, are we're the ones that very often the, the religious community, conservative religious evangelical community, mm-hmm. and I use quotes around that mm-hmm. too because there are plenty of evangelicals who are certainly supported. Right. But, um, but but we're the issue that you know this is this is the issue for for many churches now. Right. What about divorce? You yeah. know, Jesus speaks yeah. to divorce and never says anything about uh, about in quotes, homosexuality or, right. or, or gay marriage or marriage equality. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's, a, it's very hypocritical. Mm-hmm. And, and to know people who, uh, who sat there in the legislature and voted for 1523, who've been divorced many times, you know. And I bet they don't wanna, make their wives cover their heads in church. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That, we can get into that on another, <laughs> another, another, another yeah. Which we yeah. might. But while we're on this, um, with the new administration, um, what's at stake? for the LGBTQ. The new federal administration, you mean. I'm sorry, yeah. thank you. Yeah. The new uh, federal, I, I'm mm-hmm. trying not to name right. names, but <laughs> correct. With the new federal administration, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, is uh, at stake for the LGBTQ Americans? Well, a lot's at stake. I mean, we're looking at a uh, you know potential, uh, we've already had one uh, Supreme Court justice uh, named. Um, mm-hmm. We could potentially have you know, two, three more in in this um, in this. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say the Methodist term quadrennium, but in this uh, <laughs> yeah. in these next four years in this term, and so um, it, it's scary because you know this president. Um, while some people say he's good on our issues, he's not appointing people to places of power who are good on our issues. Right. Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, <sighs> has uh, has a history of being. Uh, anti-LGBTQ, he voted against the uh, Matthew Shepard Act mm. that extended hate crime protections or, or listed hate crimes as uh, you know, gender identity and, and sexual orientation included that mm-hmm. in the federal standard. Um, we've got Mike Pence who passed his own legislation in Indiana that was um, mm-hmm. a religious refusal bill that's tar- that targets uh, the LGBTQ community. So, you know, the president has people he's listening to who are not good on our issues. And so, you know, we, we saw two candidates, and I won't get it, I won't say their names, mm-hmm. but one was the most pro-equality candidate we've ever had, Absolutely. vocally pro-equality. And, and then we had someone like the one who won, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and who has not necessarily been anti, but again, he, he aligns himself, associates himself with people who are anti-LGBTQ, so there's, so there's a lot at stake. I mean, we're looking at the potential for marriage to be rolled back, even though um, the president uh, and, the, and, and even the justice that was just named alluded to, the, to marriage equality being uh, um, settled law. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, we don't, while Mississippi doesn't have protections, 
actually, we don't have federal protections. No, we don't. Um, again, unless you're an employee of the federal government, thanks mm -hmm. to the previous administration mm -hmm. or a federal contractor. Uh, we have something called the Equality Act that we're trying to push through mm -hmm. Congress unsuccessfully at this point, although we, have, we do have bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. But the Equality Act would add sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes, mm -hmm. um, whereas we already have under the 1964 mm -hmm. Civil Rights Act you know, and, and Title VII mm -hmm. you know, protections with regards to race, mm -hmm. uh, um, religion, uh, gender, that But not necessarily, I mean, without the ERA, gender also, I mean, all of these gender issues are still right. up in the air. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, um, that's true. It's really interesting to see how those things play out. And, and I'm married to a legal scholar, so we talk about this mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. But um, people forget that, right? That, right? that the protected classes under the Civil Rights Act, which means you can discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation. You can say to someone's face, I am firing you because yeah. you came out of the closet. Whereas you cannot say to someone's face, I am firing you because of your race or your religion. Right. Um, and, and that that category does not exist. And I think a lot of people don't actually realize right. that that's mm -hmm. not a protected class. It's not assumed in the yeah. Civil Rights Act. And that's a, that's a good point to make yeah. because we, we've done polling. In 2014, we did polling. And we, did, we surveyed uh, 30 and under in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Whether they were Republican or Democrat, they supported marriage equality. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the overwhelming majority supported protections as it relates to housing and uh, employment, public accommodations. Uh, and, but we also polled people over 30, Republican mm -hmm. or Democrat, where while they weren't supportive, and narrowly so, mm -hmm. weren't supportive of marriage equality, by and large, over 60% supported in Mississippi workplace protections and things like that, and, and generally assume that they're already in place. Right, yeah, and, that's, and that's part of why raising this awareness yeah. that, that these things that we assume are just common sense human dignity questions are not the legal standard right, right now, and that's, that's important to be aware of. Um, you were speaking a moment ago about um, how allies can be helpful, and, and you raised the, this question of this generational divide. Young people are generally mm -hmm. um, getting on board with this pretty rapidly, yeah. um, more rapidly than most other civil rights movements we've seen, um, which is, is beautiful and hopeful and inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to take a moment to listen to another one of your clips um, from Meredith and Josh to hear about some of, some of the ways that being an ally can be absolutely beautiful and um, these intergenerational relationships, what it can look like when it goes well. To be a good parent of an LGBT son is, is the same of being a good parent of any child. I kind of had a question mark, I guess, by his sexuality until uh, when he was 12. And I said, hey mom. <laughs> she said, hey Josh. <laughs> and I said, I just thought you should know I'm gay. And she just said, okay. My mom knew that it was something important and something that I should remember and celebrate. So she actually uh, surprised me with a necklace with the date and time, the exact time that I came out with her, which yeah, she's wearing right now. <laughs> the importance to me was just that it represented probably this struggle that he had dealt with leading up to that moment. That day wasn't about, oh no, surprise. <laughs> it wasn't about that. It was about me being open and honest and sharing some of the pain that I've been dealing with and kind of covering up. I think conversation is necessary to create change. There's something in everyone that's different. If we all just acknowledge that and say, hey, I'm different, you're different, <laughs> let's be different together. Let's love this town that we have. Let's love this community, this earth, and not look for things to divide us. I think the only thing that should come between me and my neighbor is our, the walls of our house, <laughs> our fences. But the second I step out of my door, I want to be able to say, hey, how are you? And I'd hope that they do the same for me. How can people of faith resist that? Um, children are deeply motivated to please their parents. And this is just a very encouraging story between Meredith and Josh. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the interesting things about that story was that when I was looking for messengers, I, I had a conversation over lunch with, with Meredith and Josh, because I knew their story and I knew uh, through previous interaction that Meredith was very supportive of Josh. 
um, from that early age, even so much, even going so far as to put the date that he mm -hmm. came out on that uh, on that, oh, that jewelry on the necklace. Yes. Yeah, you know, and and I went back to them later and said, "Would you be our messenger, uh, one of our messengers?" And they said, "Well, we don't really have a story to tell. We don't, <laughs> we don't really have. No. We've never. We we you know. I didn't. I never uh, rejected him like so many mm -hmm. parents do, and so." Uh, but, but I said, I said that's the story. How beautiful! Yeah, people yeah. need to see a story of uh, full acceptance from from a parent. You know, not just I, I love you in spite of, but I right. love you because of, yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the person that that you were created to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why that's important to tell that story. That's it's so just powerful. powerful. I think. Um, like you, I'm someone who has, you know, a stake in organized religion, but a, a very fraught relationship with it. I think many of us do, um, Debo as, as well. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, one of those spaces that, that if it is open and affirming can be so powerful in supporting someone through that process of coming out to themselves, especially, right. which is so difficult. Um, but different faith communities deal with this in such different ways, whether it traces back to, say, the Book of Discipline, like the United Methodist Church is dealing with right now, um, or, or cultural standards. Um, so in Mississippi, we often hear the phrase that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. Yeah. And in Mississippi, and I think largely across the country, churches tend to be predominantly one race. Yeah. Um, and in Mississippi, that tends to be either white or black. And while there are a handful of, of churches that are open and affirming in this city, um, I think one of the struggles is crossing that boundary and you are white. Mm -hmm. um, have you had experience with any predominantly black churches um, in your work, uh, especially knowing that in many of, uh, of those churches, those are more evangelical mm -hmm. in their leanings, whether it's their traditions or their interpretations of scripture. Right. Um, and that can sort of create a double boundary for you and your ability to engage those communities. This is a really hard question. But it is a hard question. Have you had? <laughs> but I'll just, um, I'll answer the way I want to. Okay, that's good. That? <laughs> Go for it. I'll do, I'll do the best. Right. You know, it's, people ask that often mm -hmm. and they say, you know, gosh, the black church mm -hmm. and they're, they, there's so much uh, uh, anti-LGBT rhetoric that, that people hear in the pulpits. The truth is they hear that in, in white churches as, as well. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and, but I'll say this and, and I always point to this, some of our best allies mm -hmm. in, in, in our work who have, who have stood up against these issues who have voted against these issues have been African-American mm -hmm. um, legislators. We, we can always count on them. And they bear, some of them are pastors. Mm -hmm. Some of them, and I'd say all of them, mm -hmm. uh, all of our legislators who are African-American are involved in, in church. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that because I've researched, researched right. them all, like just like I have the, the white legislators. Um, so I'll just say that I don't know what they're hearing in the pulpits, mm -hmm. but whatever it is, it's not, if it's bad, it hasn't affected their, their votes. Because like I said, they stand with, with the um, LGBT community all the time. And that's another thing to, to recognize that, you know, LGBTQ people, we are not, a, we're not monolithic in our thought or in our, in our, in our gender or in our skin or all that. We are, we're as diverse as the fabric of the state and of, and of the country. So we're, we are, we are diverse. But, but yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if that's a double boundary or not. I, I, I know that uh, I have stories whether you, you've heard of, I mean, I've heard of some really great stories of acceptance and, and love. In fact, I, I love to tell about Daniel Ball. He's our faith organizer in Mississippi. Um, Daniel's dad is an evangelical pastor, um, a Christian pastor here in, in, the, in, in Mississippi. and. And he is somebody who has come to full acceptance mm -hmm. of Daniel, mm -hmm. all because he, he loves his son. And he was telling at a faith conference we had last year at Millsaps. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a wonderful experience. <laughs> he, was, he was telling about how he, he, you know, he said Daniel always was excelled in athletics, all to, all to gain my acceptance. Mm -hmm. and, and I accept him fully just as who he, as he is right now. And he doesn't, you know, I'm so proud of him mm -hmm. for the man that he's become. And so there's this, there's a great story right there, but but I think also too, and this is where we I hate to speak to these issues without having somebody who's Af African American in the room to, right. to to speak to it as well. But um, but um, you know, African Americans, particularly in Mississippi, really get it around discrimination right. when it comes right. to civil rights right. because because African Americans have had to really struggle um, for that. So and in fact, focus groups that we've we've done. 
um, some of the best acceptance we, we get mm -hmm. is from elderly or, or older African-American females. Oh, I believe that, that's I amazing. Do. Some of the, yeah, community members that have, you know, so much at stake in, in questions of equality. And well, thank you for dispelling that. Um, it's a line you hear a lot around here, mm -hmm. right? That the black church is part of the problem, but um, my experience is like yours, that perhaps that myth is 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 rooted in some mm -hmm. assumptions that we already make about people yeah. who are not like ourselves and and my experience also has been that um in black churches whether i was visiting there or working with those communities on community development projects um some of the most welcome open and affirming spaces to all people mm -hmm. in this community so i'm glad we have a moment to sort of talk yeah. back to that line that i think a lot of us hear a lot of the time in our uh in the campaign that we we launched in 2014 which was again similar to the love your neighbor campaign except we went went up on the media we went up on television mm -hmm. in that campaign in the jackson media market we told the story of mary jane kennedy who identified herself as a uh, conservative uh, republican Rankin County, uh, Baptist, Evangelical Christian, mm -hmm. and, and white. Mm -hmm. and, and she told her story of coming to full acceptance of her gay children. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much meant that she was, you know, yeah. she was ostracized at her white church. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, you know, and, and lost mm -hmm. that community. Mm -hmm. uh, but she gained a lot of friends as a result of it, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. And you can find her story too, mm -hmm. Mary Jane. Uh, HRC when you go to YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, it was about 25 years ago, um, David and I, my husband David and I, were um, uh, attending St. John's Episcopal Cathedral. We were living in Denver at the time, and, um, you know, having been raised in the South and uh, being influenced uh, very young with certain uh, perspectives and some judgments, we were sitting and right in front of us was this very handsome couple. And the sermon, you know, the priest gets up into the pulpit and begins the uh, sermon. And then suddenly uh, David and I are sitting there. Of course, David often had his arm around me. All of a sudden, this couple that were sitting in front of us, two, two young men, he puts his arm around his partner mm -hmm. or his wife. And David suddenly looked at me, and we both looked at each other, and we knew instantly. And David whispers to me, he loves him mm -hmm. like I love you. Right. It's so true that those interpersonal encounters, I think, are so invaluable to transforming assumptions. Even, even those of us, right, who see ourselves as allies and strive to be allies, there are levels that we have to peel back, mm -hmm. levels of assumptions that we don't even realize that we have and that humility that's there, you know, when you can make as many claims about being as open as you want, um, but when you can really, there's always more self-reflection to be done and there's always more that you can learn from having real conversation with people who have experiences different mm -hmm. from your own. And I think that's part of what y'all are doing that's so powerful. Um, is telling those stories yeah. um, and, and, and sharing your own story with us today. I know that that, as I've mentioned before, I grew up in a very uh, conservative community and I went to a small liberal arts college in that very community and it was friendships in college that changed my mind and, um, and changed my heart before yeah. my mind for sure. Um, and so I'm just grateful for those stories. What are some of the um, transformational stories that you've seen in, in this work that you're doing, not just of changing laws and changing institutions, but in changing hearts and minds, where are some of those transformations happening in your work right now? I'll go back to my time as a pastor to answer mm -hmm. that question. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, while I'm certainly working on a statewide level uh, to create change and join with partners around the state who are, who are already engaged in this, in their communities, um, and, and weren't paid to do it, um, but, but yeah, I was already engaged on that with, in, in this when I was a pastor mm -hmm. um, to create, to help create here in, in Jackson an uh, open and affirming congregation. And I remember uh, one of my parishioners came to me, somebody who uh, perceived, not just perceived, I saw the bumper sticker on the back of his car and I knew he was conservative uh, and politically conservative. So I, you know, I figured that probably translates to, you know, the way he, uh, his theology and the way he, he thinks about church and about religion and all that and culture. 
he came to me one day after there was a, something that had gone on at the annual conference, a lesbian couple, Mississippi Annual Conference, a lesbian couple told their story and it created this huge backlash and outrage. This was several years ago, around 2009. And he came to me and I was so fearful when he sat in front of me about what he was gonna say. I don't think he knew my story at the time. Uh, maybe he did. But he sat in my office and he said, you know, I read in the Clarion Ledger about, about what's happening. And he said, I used to be one of those people. Mm. He said, I used to be one of those people who I would have reacted like that. But then he re referenced a lesbian couple who had been active in the church mm. um, and during my tenure there, after I'd gotten there. He said, but then I got to know them mm. and I'm changed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the kind of transformation that I got to see, not just mm. with him, but, but lots of people. And those are the stories that, that I've heard. That's just one story. Right. I need to write them all down. <laughs> yes. But you know, yes. one of the and one of the stories about the All God's Children campaign mm -hmm. um, that we that we heard was a oh gosh there were several but but uh, one of them was um, a story of a young man. They were watching that one of the commercials that we had. Uh, maybe it was the one featuring Mary Jane Kennedy and telling her story of of her love and acceptance of her kids while also embracing her Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And 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 one of the this kid turned his dad and said. Um, said, I'm gay, do you still love me? And he said, I love you and there's nothing that could change that. And he said, we are all God's children, mm, referencing what he had heard on, oh. the, on the television. And we, we, have, we had lots of stories like that. Some we were, we've certainly been able to mm -hmm. document and even we published some of those mm -hmm. in, in blog format as well. Very cool. Well, it's, it really is a powerful movement and, and we're so grateful Rob that you've been able to to meet with us today. Can I tell Amen. you a story? Before? <laughs> yes, can, I, can, we get, can I tell you a story? You can use it if you want. Yes, that'd be great. Oh, yes. yeah, right we, can, yeah. we can edit it. But I had this really interesting thing happen, um, scary thing happen last last week in fact. Um, it was from Tuesday morning of last week. Uh, Ryan and I go to spin class um, most mornings of the week, 6 a.m. spin. At the end of the class, this guy passed out, um, and, and, and not only did he pass out, he fell off his bike, and, and he had no pulse. Um, and we know that because next to him on the bike, on the bike next to him was, was an ER physician wow. oh. who assessed the situation and immediately knew that he needed CPR. And whether I wanted to be a part of it or not, mm -hmm. he enlisted me in, in applying the CPR. Mm -hmm. He uh, and fortunately there were also two medical students mm -hmm. that were that were in there as well, and 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 so it was obviously uh, you know very scary. We didn't know what was going to happen, but because he was lifeless on the floor there. Wow. But, uh, but Ryan, my partner, was applying you know, CPR, pumping his chest as the doctor was telling us what to do and the medical students. And he told me to put my hand on his femoral uh, uh, vein or whatever, that, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but it's this, this vein or that, uh, that's where the leg and the groin connect. And so I, and I had to, to place my hands there and he said, hold them there, don't let go. Pressure. Mm -hmm. and, and do you feel anything? I said, no. Well, all of a sudden, this man, as they, continued to apply pressure, apply CPR, he came back to life and I could literally feel the mm. pulse of, of, his, uh, of his circulation coming back and he came back. And in fact, wow. he, uh, he came to class today to thank us for, mm. for our part in, in, in saving his life, which wow. I just did what I was told. In fact, I didn't, I didn't intend to, be a, to save life. But, I, <laughs> but you know, I think about that story. I've thought about it. I've been able to reflect on mm -hmm. it um, after this week because it certainly was a traumatic experience. Yeah. And, and that's the way I see the work that, mm -hmm. that I'm in, engaged in. That's sort of a metaphor for, mm -hmm. for this kind of work because, you know, in the ministry, uh, I felt like, you know, very often when I had to be honest, I was nurturing something that was... Um, I was nurturing a dying institution, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. And while I love the ministry, and I have pastor and clergy friends who are who are engaged in wonderful work, right. uh, you know, I think sometimes, you know, very often, more often, I was there uh, holding somebody's hand uh, as their pulse went away. Um, yeah. And in this instance, I was you know, holding on to him as mm. the pulse came back, and, and that's the way I, I see this this work. It, it's as mm. it's, it's giving life to something. Very often, 
um, the work that we're engaged in is a first. Yeah. It's the first time to sit in front of a legislator, legislator and, and talk about our issues. It, it's our first time to have a business summit, have businesses come from all over the state. It's, it's Toyota's first uh, LGBT uh, pride celebration. And so we've got to be a part of that. And, you know, and I see this, mm -hmm. this work as, as giving life to something. Yeah. And, and, and I think very often there are people in, in communities around the state who are isolated and, and they see this work that, that, that we're about and it gives them life. And maybe even you know, given that LGBT people are, are, are some of the, uh, are kill themselves, mm -hmm. commit suicide at a higher proportion, maybe it does even save lives. Thank you.